Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome you this morning, and uh, as we begin our fall sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew, so I invite you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 5. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 16, although our focus will be on verses 13 through 16. Now, our sermon series for this fall, we're calling Thy Kingdom Come. And instead of going through the whole gospel, which we normally do, we normally preach through books of the Bible, what we're going to do this fall is we're going to narrow our focus to the sayings of Jesus in particular about the coming kingdom of God, or as Matthew often refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Now, the concept of the kingdom is at the very center of Jesus's earthly preaching ministry. In Matthew chapter four, Matthew gives us a summary of what it is that Jesus was doing in his ministry. And he said, and he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What did Jesus do? What was his ministry? His ministry was that he went to church and he preached the gospel. That is how you can summarize the earthly ministry of Christ. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now the people of God were prepared to hear this message. For they were waiting for God expectantly to establish his reign on earth. For it had been foreshadowed throughout the Old Testament and promised that one day a king would come who would proclaim good news and establish a heavenly kingdom. Isaiah 52, for example, says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, to define the kingdom of heaven is no easy task. However, we can get some of the basic elements in place that will help us going forward to understand it. First, a kingdom has a king. And the Gospels make it clear that Jesus is this king of the coming kingdom. He is the heir of the king of King David. And he has been given now an everlasting kingdom And his reign shall not end. Throughout the Gospels, we also learn about the subjects of a kingdom, right? In a kingdom, you have a king. In the kingdom, you have subjects. And the subjects of this kingdom are all of those who believe the words of Jesus Christ and submit to his teaching. Those who follow Jesus as king are called his disciples. And so within the kingdom, the disciples are the citizens or the subjects. And third, a kingdom has a land or a place. This concept is a little bit more difficult to define within the Gospels because Jesus's dominion is not of this world. He rules a heavenly kingdom opposed to an earthly kingdom. And therefore, it is difficult to define exactly what it is because you can't touch the kingdom of heaven. It's not a particular plot of land, a a particular place on earth. However, 
Wherever the blessed reign of King Jesus is experienced, there the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And therefore, Jesus' message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is present. It is here. For I am the king, and where I rule, there my kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, in our passage for this morning, the Lord Jesus is teaching his followers what it means to live as subjects of the kingdom of heaven while you continue to dwell within the kingdoms of men. That is, he is addressing how we are to live in the world of men while also living as subjects of the king of heaven. One summer, my wife April and I spent several weeks in Honduras working with a children's home and helping to host short-term mission teams. And as you can imagine, I did not blend in very well with the local population. I was about a foot taller than the average adult in Honduras. As you can tell, I have a very pale complexion. When I was younger, I even had blonde hair. I dressed like an American, I acted like an American, and I didn't speak Spanish very well. There was no denying by my actions and my appearance, that I was different. I stood out. You could tell that I came from a different country. And in our passage for this morning, Jesus is teaching us that all of his followers, all of those who are his subjects, who have submitted to him as king, must stand out in this world. That their lives, their language, their customs, their values, their culture should be a contrast to the world around them to such a degree that people will see that they are different. And because of these differences, give glory to God. Today we learn that as subjects of the kingdom of heaven, every Christian is to live with the purpose in this world to be salt, to be light. And to glorify God. So hear now the word of the Lord. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. And persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now in this time and we pray, O Lord, that you would be so gracious as to give to us your spirit in abundance, that as your word is preached and that as your people obediently hear your word, that lives may be changed. For we desire to be transformed into the image of Christ by the truth and the power of your word. Or we desire that we might truly bring glory to your great name by being salt and light. Oh, would you teach us what that means this day? That your kingdom may come in power and in glory. We pray this through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Where are you called to be a disciple of Christ? It seems like a rather obvious answer that we would give to this question, where are you called to be a follower of Christ? If you're going to be a follower of Christ, then you must be a disciple wherever you go. You can't just follow Jesus when you're at church or when you're in front of your Christian friends or when you're on a weekend retreat. To be a follower of Christ, you need to obey his word wherever you go. You need to be a follower of Christ in your home. Behind closed doors. You need to be a follower of Christ at school and at work. You need to be a follower of Christ wherever you find yourself. And yet, living out such a calling is never easy. As we said earlier, the place of the kingdom is difficult to pin down. For we live in a world where the reign of Christ has not yet come in its fullness. So when we are with other believers, it's much easier to follow Christ because that is what we are expected to do. When we gather together with other Christians, the overriding culture that we are in is a Christian culture and we feel freedom to follow after Jesus Christ, to speak in a Christian way. But when we're at a football game or when we're disciplining our children or when we're talking with old college friends, the expectations of how we are to act, are all of a sudden changed. We have a saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans. Right? When in Rome, do as the Romans. And it means that you adopt the customs of the country you find yourself in. I do not make it a habit to wear Mickey Mouse ears anywhere except at Disney World. Right? But when I'm there, I'll put those silly ears on because it makes my kids happy and it's culturally appropriate to do so. But I'm not going to do it outside the bounds of Disney World, let alone in the pulpit, because that wouldn't be appropriate. When I travel to Europe, I'm willing to drink wine at every meal because apparently that's what they do in Europe. And Herman Ulrich gave me a thumbs up at the last service. So it is what they do in Europe. You see, 
I'm willing to go along with what the culture dictates because when you are in Rome, you're supposed to do as the Romans do. Nevertheless, what Jesus is teaching us in our passage for this morning is that we cannot adopt such an attitude in relation to following his kingdom values. We cannot be one thing within the church and another thing in the world. Rather, we must live as a contrast to the world. For when we are in the kingdom of Rome, we must live for the kingdom of God. The first way that we are to live with a kingdom purpose in the world as Jesus says in verse 13, is that we are to be the salt of the earth. Look down at verse 13 of our text. It says, you, followers of Jesus Christ, disciples, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Again, the first thing we see is that we are to be followers of Christ in the world. Jesus is establishing that those who would be his subjects are the salt of the earth. But what does that mean? What does Jesus mean by that metaphor that we are salt? Well, we know that salt had a variety of uses in the ancient world. The main uses included adding flavor, preserving food, and cleansing. You see, salt was widely used as an antiseptic because it stops the growth of bacteria. And so before the advent of refrigeration, the only way that meat could be preserved was to rub salt in it. And salt killed that bacteria and therefore stopped the decay. It was essential to the way that ancient life worked because without salt, food would rot. So what's the connection then? Well, the Bible is clear that the earth is in the process of decay or death. Through the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin came into the world. And because of sin, death. And now the Word of God tells us that death reigns and that we are in bondage to sin. Or if we're thinking about it through these terms of kingdom, death is reigning. Death is the mark of the kingdom of this world. Romans 8.21 tells us that the creation itself is in bondage to death. It's in bondage to decay. And it's waiting with eager expectations for the day when the sons of God, when the salt of the earth will be revealed. You see, if it is left to its own, the world quickly de deteriorates into utter chaos. Without some preserving agent, the world will give in to ultimate decay. This is the state of the world that we live in. Decay, rot, death. When you feel the struggles of a pandemic, when you're trying to understand and process the chaos that is happening in Afghanistan, as you think of the struggles of the nation of Haiti, when you see the destruction of Hurricane Ida, when you struggle to understand disease and death and chaos, you must realize that what you are seeing is the reign of death playing itself out. But it's not just national or international struggles that show forth death. 
It's all the frustration that we experience in our own lives of fear and anxiety, of anger and struggle and strife with this world. It is the world around you that is feels like it's constantly on the edge of chaos and sometimes it feels like it goes head first into chaos. The world is dying all around us. But you are the salt of this world. You who follow after Jesus Christ are the purifying agent in a world that needs cleansing. The evil intentions of the human heart act as bacteria and meat and it will cause the world to go rancid. And therefore, it is the call of every follower of Jesus Christ to enter into the hardships and the struggles of this world and to be salt. To bring peace when there is anger. To bring joy when there is depression. To bring love when there is hatred. To bring unity when there is division. To bring forgiveness where there is sin. To give to those who are in need to stop the rot of poverty. To turn the other cheek. To stop the continual growth of conflict. You see, as salt in the world, you are called to be the agent that stops the decay of sin in this world and begins to bring a preserving and cleansing power. To follow the Lord Jesus Christ is our call, who went to the cross to end death. When He was wronged, He did not revile. When he was beaten, he did not fight back. When he was accused, he did not answer his accusers, but remained silent. And then to end end the reign of death, Jesus Christ went to the cross and he poured out his blood. He took on death to end our death. He became the true salt of the world so that he might end the reign of death and he might break the bonds of sin that keep us enslaved. So that whosoever would repent of their sin and in faith trust in Him for forgiveness would become a citizen of the heavenly kingdom of of which He preached. Leaving behind their earthly ways to be salt in this world. You see, by living as a genuine believer and follower of Christ, you will be an antiseptic against the bacteria rotting this world, which is sin. By standing for what is right and living in a Christ-like manner in a culture that looks down on that and even will persecute that, you will quietly but effectively influence our world for good. Not by political movements, not by force of arms, but through the ever-present witness to Christ and to His kingdom. In your home, with your children, at school, at work, and in the world. We are called to be salt. This is your kingdom purpose. To affect the world for good through the power of Christ. As you honor Him with your life, you will inevitably affect the environment that is around you. Just as salt will inevitably affect its environment for good. Though the world may hate you and persecute you, it will also be unable to deny your life-giving presence. 
For as you live out your convictions in the world, you will cleanse and preserve this world which is so quickly decaying. Christian, your kingdom purpose is to be the salt of the earth. And yet salt has a largely negative effect. Now, I don't mean negative as though it's bad. It's just negative in the sense that it's stopping things. It's stopping sin from taking over. But we're also given a positive purpose. Look down at verse 14. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. You see, the world is not only in a state of decay, the world is in a state of darkness, a state of ignorance, without the truth. Now, at the time when Jesus taught this, there were many who claimed the title of the light of the world. Prominent rabbis were given that title. Even the nation of Israel, the temple, the city of Jerusalem was called the light of the world. And Rome itself proclaimed that it was the light of the world, that by its law and by its structures, it was bringing light and truth and life to this world. The function of light is to dispel darkness. It's a symbol of hope and a symbol of truth. And Jesus looked out on the crowd and he said to them, you are the light of the world. You are the bringers of truth, not Rome, Not Socrates, not Aristotle, nor anything else that we might think will bring us hope and truth. Jesus says, this ragtag group of poor Palestinian fishermen and shepherds are going to be the ones who bring forth and propagate the truth, the true light of the world. People that were nothing in the eyes of the world. You see, the world would have remained in darkness had not these poor men gone forth with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they had not brought the light of Christ to the nations, the nations would have continued in darkness. As we look back on the past 2,000 years of our world, Christianity is by far the most influential movement in the history of this world. And the church began with the lowest, most humble of people, with a Palestinian handing over the light of the gospel that they might go forth into all the world and bring truth. And today, for all of those who are truly in Christ, The word of God says, you are the light of the world. You may not have much money. You may think, hey, I'm too old to be the light. I'm too young. I'm too unimportant. I don't have position. You may think, hey, I live in a relatively small town. I have no power. But I say to you, if you have Christ, then you are the light of the world. You are the hope of this earth. For Jesus picked what most would have considered as a group of 12 backwoods hicks to change the face of the world. What might God be planning to do with you? What might He have in store for our church, for Rivermont? What effect might we have on this town, on this region, on this state, or this country, even this world, by allowing the light of the gospel to shine forth through our lives? For we who are disciples of Jesus, subjects of the heavenly kingdom, citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, we have the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our purpose 
to shine forth that light. That is to preach the good news of the kingdom to this world. Now to fulfill our purpose, we must share with the world the good news of Christ. That He offers free and full forgiveness to all who would come to Him in faith. That those who are willing to turn, that is to repent from their sin, and to trust in Jesus Christ as King, will be forgiven and will be sealed to a heavenly kingdom. We must shine this light because without it, the world remains in darkness. Jesus goes on to say, A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Here Jesus uses two examples to make the same point. The purpose of light is to be seen. Therefore, it makes no sense to cover it over. It makes no sense to stop light from accomplishing its purpose. You can think of those lighthouses that are built all along the eastern seaboard. Right there there, so that ships don't run aground at night. And it would make no sense if all of a sudden they decided we're just not going to light the lighthouse. Yeah, they're developed and they're put there and they've been built so that they would shine light. But we're not going to shine the light. How many ships would sink if they had to go about in darkness? And so with that, we have to ask, why do we cover up our light? Why is it that we do not allow our light to shine in this world? Because just as the world is in decay, the world is also in darkness. And there are many different philosophies that claim to bring light to the world, but there are only darkness themselves. The only true light is the light of Jesus Christ. The Lord has placed you in this world to be a visible beacon of His gospel. That is, we are to live with the priorities of the kingdom, to share the hope of, God, of the gospel. This is your purpose. This is what you have been called to do in this world. You have been given the light of the gospel, therefore you must let it shine. For your purpose is to be salt. Your purpose is to be light. And finally, your kingdom purpose is to bring glory your God. In verse 16, Jesus finishes this section saying, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Your purpose as salt is to preserve the world from the decay of sin. Your purpose as light is is to shine forth the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here Jesus tell us, tells us what our ultimate purpose as salt and light is. For when Jesus says, let your light shine before men, He is saying, live as a Christian in this world. Don't hide your kingdom allegiance. If you are in Christ, then start living like you are. Let your light shine so that the world may see your light. They may see the gospel of Jesus Christ. They might feel the cleansing effect of the salt of the earth and give glory to our God. You see, when people see the way that you love God more than this world, They will glorify Him. When they see that you desire the things of God more than the things of this world, they will glorify Him. For this is the very purpose for which the world has been created. Even as the book of Isaiah says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. 
You see, God formed you and made you for his own glory. This is the reason you exist. This is your purpose. We've heard it often. The first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? That is, what is the number one reason that you exist? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Our world is filled with people who cannot find satisfaction no matter what they have. They fill their time with entertainment. They fill their bellies with delicacies. They buy the best homes and the nicest cars, achieve great feats of athletic prowess and earn degrees of renown. And yet they continue to remain dissatisfied in the endeavors in which they have gone for satisfaction. But you see, only, only when these things and our life is submitted to God and done for the glory of God, will we know true purpose and satisfaction in this world. We remain in death and darkness. But when the subjects of the kingdom come as salt and light, the kingdom of God will come and the world will glorify Him. Over the past year and a half, the generosity of this body, combined with the fact that we just haven't been able to do very much, which means we haven't spent very much money, the church now has an opportunity. The session of the church has set aside a significant portion of money, and we have designated it as the Gospel Expansion Fund. Maybe we should have called it the salt and light fund. Because the purpose of these funds is that we would get the congregation out into the world as salt and light. That is, we aim to begin a ministry initiative that will use Rivermont as salt and light to reach a dying world with the message of the gospel. For we live in a world where there are men and women and children who do not have the light of Christ. They remain in bondage to the kingdom of death. And they continue to go forward in darkness. But you, Christian, you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of this world. And as you go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit and with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the kingdom, repentance and the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the gospel will go forward in power. We need as a people to be motivated and to be organized towards the going forth and the expansion of the gospel in our community, in our region, in our state, and even in our world. And so I challenge to you at this moment is that you would begin to pray, first of all, for the team of leaders that is being assembled to give us direction in how we might see this come forth. We need guidance from God's Spirit and we need the wisdom and the courage to follow the course of action that God gives to us. And second, I want you to begin to pray for how you might respond 
to the call to be salt and light in this world. For the Lord is calling all of His followers to bring glory to His name in this world. The world is in chaos and darkness. Men and women and children are living without purpose and dying without hope. Christian, you are called to be salt to end the death. And you are called to be light to end the darkness through the power of God's Spirit within you. This is the reason you exist. To glorify God as subjects of the kingdom. O God, would thy kingdom come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come to you now and we confess that it is very easy in the flesh to be salt and light around those who profess to be Christians. Within the walls of the church and in those places where we expect to act in a certain way. And yet when we enter into this world, oh God, the pressure to conform to the world To go along with the anger, the hatred, the complaining, the unforgiveness. Lord, it is overwhelming. Oh, would you give to us your spirit, that by the power of your spirit we might truly be salt and light in this world. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forward in power. Would your kingdom come, O Lord. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen.